I actually am able to reproduce myself. I scaled myself to the point where instead of producing one video a week, which was about my max, I'm now doing six, eight, now 15, and it, and it really is working. Gig economy. The gig economy. This on-demand or so-called gig economy. People ask me if the gig economy is a fad. The reality is I don't think enough organizations realize what's at stake here. We really have to think about much more dynamic teams. Change inside organizations is not about whether they're going to be successful or not. It's actually whether they're going to survive. The gig economy is on the rise. And to succeed in this heavily competitive environment with rapidly changing technology and customer needs, companies need to adapt to new models to get work done. This requires a new mindset. Welcome to the gig mindset, where we talk to thought leaders, CEOs, and expert freelancers as they navigate the future of work. I'm your host, Paul Estes. And in this episode of the gig mindset, we're going to learn how one Microsoft employee was able to scale up his own ability to produce high quality work by engaging talented on-demand freelancers. We've all fantasized about cloning or replicating ourselves to get more done. That, of course, is not possible. But it is possible to scale your own capacity to complete projects that would otherwise be way too large for any one person. By understanding the gig economy and engaging on-demand workers, you have the ability to complete much more work than you're able to do on your own, without any loss of quality. But it takes time. In fact, as we'll hear later, the quality of your work product can actually even get better. But really, higher quality? Faster turnaround? Lower cost? Is that really possible? For the answer to that, we met up with Ken Sercio, Senior Media Production Specialist at Microsoft. Ken has a long history in tech, but I'll let him introduce himself. I'm Ken Sercio. I'm a video producer here at Microsoft. Been at the company a little over 17 years. It's my really my third major stop in the tech industry, but no plans on leaving anytime soon. You know, I know you from the tech industry. I want to go all the way back, though, Ken. I want to go to the start of your career. You were in the Air Force. I was. I joined at 17 years old because I lived in Germany. My dad was military, and I wanted to get back to the States. And so I joined, and the Air Force sent me to Spain. If you want to go to the States, you don't put in for the States. You put in for overseas. Then they'll send you to the States. But I did learn to be a computer operator on... uh, Large mainframe systems, Burroughs 3500 is what I started out at and finished up on Honeywell. We had a console where we ran a mainframe computer. We had about 8 megabytes total of um, storage that we used. And we had an entire tape library, so magnetic tapes. When you watch Columbo and he goes into a computer room and you see these tapes spinning in the background, I actually used to load and unload those things every day. That was life as we knew it. That was cutting-edge technology. Over the years, we've seen a lot of change in the work environment, the day-to-day. Just think about computers then versus now. When the PC revolution came around, then you started to see the change take place. You could really start to see, okay, now I need one of these. Now a family can use one of these rather than just a novelty. It started to become clear how it could be very quickly a necessity. In the environment I work in today... It's moved to your own ability to produce. It's not about the machine's ability anymore like it used to be. It's about my ability to efficiently produce what I need to produce and to calculate and strategize. How did that disruption feel? Like, I mean, you you kind of went through that journey and saw a lot of change in how people interacted with technology. Well, you have to you have to change or or die. Once someone updated our technology to where we don't have 
uh, cards anymore for execution. We don't have tapes anymore for execution. We do have them for storage. There is only this screen. You can look at that and say, I don't understand that. I don't get it. It's faster than what I'm used to, and I need to figure out something else to do. Or you can embrace it and say, you know what? This is better. I'm not quite used to it yet, but I can see how this could improve things. Little incremental steps along the way that require you to either accept or reject. If you decide this is going to be where my value is and I can see where it's going to take me, you have to trust the technology and trust the process and your own experience. I accept, I try to figure out how I can use this technology to improve my current workflow and eventually you embrace it. Have you always had the mindset of you know, leaning into new things and not being scared or threatened? No, no. That doesn't come naturally with me, but the military helped with that. My father was Air Force, and constant change is what you put up with in the military. And you just are accustomed to that transient lifestyle. I really do think that that has helped in this technology industry in looking at the way we do things and those disruptions and not panicking, just taking a step back and saying, okay, here's a disruption. What do we do with it? And how do we uh, respond? So we talked about the machines and that transition into it being about everything's possible as long as you can imagine it and, and produce it. How is your interaction with the other people around you? How's that, the teamwork or the organization aspects changed? Well, when I was in the Air Force, uh, it felt like a factory because when I came to work, there was me and maybe two other minions, we were airmen, and we had a supervisor, and that supervisor had a supervisor, and that supervisor had an OIC, an officer in charge. And we didn't feel, and I think it was probably by design, we didn't feel empowered to do anything or make any changes or set any strategy. If we had an opinion, we sometimes were listened to because we could back it up based on our experience. But today... It really is, especially in Microsoft, everyone has a voice. It doesn't matter if you've been here for a number of years like I have or if you're fresh out of college and just joining the team and feeling a little intimidated. You've got a voice and you have an opinion. The information that we absorb and the the technologies we learn, it, it only lasts for three, four, maybe five years, and it turns over in our industry. Things change you're doing something different every day, every every month, every year, the technology change. They get better. There's something new that comes out. You get to try, see if it works better or not for you. And it really is an interactive and supportive environment. It's, it's very exciting. And it's one reason that, that I'm still interested. So let's fast forward to today at Microsoft. When I moved over to this team, we were modernizing content. And Ken did this amazing, innovative thing that allowed him to scale from one video week to 15. It was a personal and professional journey. It started a few years ago. We were looking at the videos that we were putting out, and I was trying to think, how can we economize with these? How can we put out more videos at a lower cost? And trying to figure out how to produce them in a more mainstream fashion. And one of the largest costs we had was localization, and that is taking a video and translating it in other languages. So... The highest percentage of that localization cost was creating new voiceover. And I thought, okay, what if we got rid of the voice? Maybe we could just get the information across another way. 
that would cut out the largest cost of localization. Well, we tried that and uh, it worked. So we kind of ran with it. And as you said, uh, we went from a very small operation where we were doing about one of them a week when we were still prototyping to where we've scaled now to about 15 a week. So we we can put out 60 and, and we can probably scale up a little bit more. Tell me about the process that you used to scale. You know, one of the things that we introduced, I guess about 15 months ago now, was the idea of using freelancers and this idea of you could go to the internet, press a button, find a viral video expert or somebody to do voiceover here in the United States or around the world that had experience and also had some capacity to help. And I think that's one of the things that's really helped you scale the work. But I know that the journey has been one, especially with your creative background, it's been an interesting journey for you again, professionally and, and personally. So you can tell me a little more about that journey from, hey, there's an idea that I need to scale myself. You know, what I'm being asked to do for the business is beyond what I can do um, myself. The thing I had heard over uh, several years at, at this company from those who were in direct supervision over me was, we need to figure out how to scale Ken. We need to figure out how to, how to get several more Kens and put them in in the same position so that we can produce more just like you're producing. And that, that always made me feel good and it, it made me feel valuable. And it also seemed to me like it was highly unlikely. <laughs> and so it reached ahead, as you mentioned, about 15 months ago. And it was another disruption when I thought we really do have to scale this operation. And I'm not sure how to do it, but maybe this global platform is a possibility. Maybe it'll work. I was skeptical at first because I had heard people are going to be freelancers and they're going to be working from home and using